I remember myself at 16, a thief. I'd taken my parents' house keys and given them to friends so they could party while my family was away for the summer. Even though I was living the kind of life, the kind of happy ignorance that made being a teenager my only problem, I found rebellion an insatiably contagious endeavor. Of course, I'd been caught and promptly banished to work at the all-girls summer camp my parents owned in a blink-and-you'll-miss-it town in northwestern Wisconsin. The camp provided an ideal backdrop for a picturesque life, the sun, the lake, the moon, and the stars. But it held no appeal to me. I couldn't resist throwing rocks into the calm family waters. Not that long ago, I'd been a scrawny little ham who could not possibly get enough of the spotlight. With 300 kid-loving staff members and campers telling me how adorable I was and carrying me all over the place like some overgrown infant, it's a miracle I retained the ability to walk or perform simple tasks without the benefit of an audience. And at 16, stuck in the camp office, I found that I still craved the attention of spectators. Through the tiny black squares of the window screen beside my desk, I watched a half-dozen campers gathering around the end of a slip-and-slide, unrolling it flat atop the grass before turning on the sprinklers and flooding the shiny plastic with the sun-warmed first bursts of hose water. Hand in hand, the girls flailed and squealed as they jettisoned themselves onto the bright yellow strip before sliding onto the grass on either side of the sprinklers and coming back to the end of the line for more. Like everyone else on staff, I watched the campers closely, shifting my eyes over to the woods behind the tennis courts. We'd had a bear in camp the last few days, and though it wasn't unusual to hear of bears in the area, we were all on alert. Behind the slip-and-slide, a group of older campers rehearsed a dance for the upcoming evening program, constantly stopping and restarting the Backstreet Boys quit playing games with my heart. I thought to myself, I'm either going to burn every single copy of that damn song or pray to be struck by lightning. I pulled the cap off my pen and began drawing a Susian tree on the side of my shin licking my thumb and smudging it against my skin to erase the parts I didn't like. Looking outside every few minutes to scan the tree line, I drank in the same halcyon scenes I'd witnessed all my life. Smiling children, shouting hellos to me through the windows as they passed and, in the distance, campers writing letters in the sun and trying to string bracelets while rocking back and forth on swinging wooden benches. Our camp was exactly what people expected. Lots of land, a picturesque little lake, Oxford Brown log cabins, silly games and activities, campfires. In my teenage mind, though, it was simply my summer home's backyard, overrun with a few hundred extra guests who wouldn't be leaving for another four or eight weeks. Camp was our own little city, food, transportation, sanitation, health care, entertainment, safety, and the welfare of about 300 people all rested on my family's shoulders for four months out of the year. It was the summer before my senior year of high school, and all of my friends were 2,000 miles away in Arizona, where my family now lived during the off-season.
August seemed an interminable expanse of time, every day unfolding just the same as the one before, with me cooped up in the office, answering phones, sorting mail, feeling and acting put upon. Pin gripped at an angle against the bony part of my ankle, I was working on the ink spread of the roots down to the curve of my inner heel when the phone rang. Though I was sure I was alone in the building, I cleared my throat loudly enough for people in the upstairs office to hear me, just in case someone was up there. I answered the phone on the third ring, immediately setting the phone on my shoulder and cocking my ear down to hold it in place so I could keep doodling.